All right. Are you ready? Yeah? Okay. Is this section ready? You ready? Is this section ready? And is this section ready? Okay, the dog pound over here. That's good. That's great. Good deal. Okay, so I want to tell you a secret. The secret is, is that there's really only two sermons that you've ever heard in your entire life. That's right. There's only two. There's only two things that the Spirit of God wants to do more than anything. What He wants to do is very simple. He wants you to, are you ready? Come to Christ in saving faith, in salvation. Number two, He wants you to become like Christ. That's it. Every sermon you've ever preached, the the Spirit of God is trying to accomplish those two things. He wants to either bring you to a saving knowledge of Christ, or He wants you to become like Christ. So if you're in Christ today, then His desire for you, the Spirit of God, wants you to be more like Christ. Correct? He wants to conform you to the person of Christ because that's how you bring Him glory. So the one thing you want to walk away with in this next section of Philippians chapter 4 is simply this. When you're anxious, you should pray. Say that with me. When you're anxious, you should pray. One more try and drive it in. When you're anxious, you should pray. When you're worried, you should pray. This is what you find as he describes Christians who stand firm in verse 1 is that he brings us to a point of saying, don't be anxious, but pray about everything. So worry and prayer are supposed to go together because when you worry or when you're anxious, then you're supposed to pray, correct? And you want to walk away with that reality. In other words, you don't want to just keep fretting. You don't want to just keep thinking about what's going on or what's going wrong. You want to immediately pray about everything. So take a look at what he says there in Philippians chapter 4, now verse 6 and 7. Tomorrow morning we'll tackle verse 8, mention verse 9, and then we'll be concluding this whole passage on standing firm. And he says in verse 6, be anxious for how many things? Nothing, but in everything, and everything means what? That's right, everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I I think about, as I think about prayer, and I think about being anxious, uh, always reminded about one story uh, about two Christian hunters, and in the U.S. they were going after bear, and they were going after a bear that was very wily. And so they ended up expending all their ammo, and they found themselves in a real bad situation with the bear going after them. And so they began to run for it, and they began to drop things so they could go faster. And of course, a bear can travel way faster than any man can. So finally, at a last resort, they climbed trees, and they're praying, and they're anxious, and they're crying, and they're afraid, and they're finding themselves going, what are we going to do, Lord? What are we going to do? And they basically have nothing left, and they're looking at this bear at the base of the tree, and they're realizing this bear is going to make its way up the tree or push this tree over. We're done for So in a last-ditch effort, one of the hunters says, God, if you can, please make it a Christian bear. (laughs) And to their shock, the bear at the base of the tree gets down on its knees and says, Dear Lord, thank you for what I'm about to eat. Okay, so 
didn't quite work out the way they wanted. So prayer and worry. Prayer and worry. I know that was dumb. I'm sorry. I can't help myself. So worry, I find, in the Church of Jesus Christ is epidemic. It's actually infectious. Uh, It's a sin. And many of you in this room have the propensity, not everybody, but many of you need to deal with this destroyer of hearts. Uh, And all of us worry differently. Uh, We really do. I think as I look and reflect on my own life, I would worry about scenarios that I think I might face in the future. Anybody there with me on that? You invent the conversation. You invent what might happen, how I should respond. I see people smiling and nodding. Other people going, you're really loopy. Uh, You know, so... Interesting enough, worry is worry, and it takes on many different forms, but it's still this sense of anxiousness, and you cannot stand firm in your faith if you're running away with worry. You can't do it. Now, understand, and don't misunderstand, worry is not the same as bearing a burden or, as we might say, a concern. There's a little bit difference between a burden that you bear and worry. Let me help you understand the difference, because we are to bear each other's burdens. So how is it different? Well, worry is lack of trust, and a concern or a burden is trusting over a burden. It's trusting what God is going to do. A worry is self-centered. Concern is God-centered. A worry is buried by a burden, and a concern is bearing a burden. And a worry rips and tears apart. It distracts your attention from God. And concern unites and builds and draws your attention to God. So there's a very different difference. But worry is internal and it's tearing. And it can be so dominant in a life. The habit of worry can actually prove that you're not a believer according to Matthew chapter 13. You could be known for your worry in such a way that you're saying this person cannot be in Christ because they're not trusting God at all. For the genuine Christian, worry can still be a very great pressure. And there are several Proverbs that help us and remind us of that. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word will make it glad. So anxiety makes life heavy. Uh, worry is, is never insignificant. Someone might say, why, why make a big, big deal about worry? Uh, it is not a, a small deal. Much mental and physical health are directly linked to worry. Drunkenness and drug addiction are linked to worry. And worry leads to foolish decisions. Would you agree? Uh, resulting in painful consequences. Worry can be devastating. And for you, Christian, worry is contrary to your faith and trust and belief and relationship with Jesus Christ. Worst of all, worry is a choice, making worry anxiety a response that you can avoid. It's a choice we make. It's not a feeling that is controlling us. It is a choice that we lead to. Think about worry theologically. Christians who worry, look at this, are those who believe that God can redeem them. 
God can forgive all their sins, transfer them from hell to heaven, transform them from the inside out, making them a new person, giving them a new heart. God can indwell them with His Holy Spirit, grant them eternal life, but they don't think that God can get them through the next couple of days. Do you see the difference between what's happening here? God can do all this, and I'm going to believe Him for that, but I can't believe that He's going to carry me tomorrow and care for me tomorrow. It's pretty ridiculous, isn't it? That we can trust Him for our salvation, but then not trust Him for tomorrow. And it reveals an embarrassing lack of faith and a faulty view of God. It gets worse by way of introduction. Let me give you some ways that worry is really bad, showing you it's rottenness to the core. First, a worrier insults God. A worrier insults God. Worry says God's unable and trustworthy, unconcerned. When you worry, you're saying, God, I don't think I can trust you. Worry slanders God's character. Wow. Think about it. It does, doesn't it? When you're worried, you're saying, God, you're not trustworthy. Right? The sovereign, caring, good God that we talked about in our last session. No, no, you're not good because I'm going to worry. And you're basically slamming him. Secondly, a worrier disbelieves Scripture. You see the problem with believing in the authority and sufficient inerrancy of the Word of God, but at the same time live in perpetual worry? You're saying one thing and living another. It's incongruous to declare how much you believe the Bible and then worry about whether God will fulfill what He says in the Bible. Right? Thirdly, a worrier lives by circumstances. The English word worry actually came from the German word, are you ready, for strangulation. Worry is emotional strangulation. It chokes the life right out of you. Interesting enough, when you worry, you're choosing to be mastered by your circumstances instead of being mastered by the truth of God's Word. Would you agree that the trials in this life pale in comparison to the greatness of God's salvation in your future in heaven? Would you agree with that? Then Jesus wants you to realize that it doesn't make sense to believe that God can save you from eternal hell, but not help you with practical matters on Monday, or Tuesday, or Wednesday. And when you catch yourself worrying, you've got to go back to Scripture and depend on Him in everyday issues. Fourthly, a worrier is distrusting God. When you're worried, you're not trusting your Heavenly Father because you don't know Him well enough. And if you begin to study the Word of God and find out who He is and how He took care of the needs of His people in the past, it'll build confident trust in your future. And then add to that what you see in the Scripture. Did He take care of His people? Yes, He did. And then add to that trust. How about God's track record with your own life? Do you keep a list of events where God took care of you as you prayed and Do you remember those events? Those are key events in your life, correct? When God came through, when God answered prayer. Sometimes in our own lives, we don't keep a record of how God showed Himself and manifested Himself. And that basically leads to worry. Because if you're recalling the way He's cared for you in other circumstances, then you're going to go, wait, I've trusted Him before and I can trust Him again, right? But we're kind of slow, are we not? Anybody there with me? And so then stay fresh in the Word every day so God Himself is on your mind. Otherwise, the enemy is going to have to move into the vacuum of your thoughts and tempt you with worry. Fifthly, worrier fears the future. Fears the future. Worry is very unproductive. It accomplishes nothing. It's a thief of time. 
and controls your mind so your thoughts are blurred. Worry wastes energy, damages your body, fuels laziness. Jesus said in Matthew 6.34, Do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't that good advice? <laughs> it's not advice. It's each day has enough trouble of its own. Okay, it's a fact. Jesus says, don't worry about the future. Even though tomorrow will have its share of problems, those future issues have a way of working themselves out in time, if you trust me, and deal with future problems as they come, for there's no way to solve them in advance. Now, most of you know who Corey Ten Boom is, right? Uh, unique saint during the time of World War II and experience some of the horrors there and she says this worry does not empty tomorrow of sorrows worry empties today of strength this just robs you of what's going on today christians if you're going to stand firm on the rock you need to not worry the rock never moves right the word of god is certain you're going to stand firm yet many believers are trembling and worrying and being anxious on the rock so you're not going to find your answers for worries in formulas or psychology or drinking or Valium. <laughs> uh, you're going to find it standing firm on God's Word. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, is where we're called to stand firm. And what we've looked at so far from yesterday to today is this challenge to stand firm means that you'll address relational issues. You'll do that in a biblical way, in a way that would please Him in a way that helps you to love others and also to address issues if you need to. Uh, you're going to manifest joy and humility. You're, you're going to restore the joy of your salvation. You're going to remember what God has given you. You're going to remember His character, and that's to issue forth in rejoicing. And then as you're about and about, you're going to look for opportunities to show that just unapologetic humility, the graciousness of humility, as an opportunity to then proclaim Christ. And then ultimately, you're going to do that to all men. And now he challenges us to say, look, you need to be resting in faith and trusting me, not be anxious, but you need to be giving these things to the Lord in prayer. So that's what he says in verse 6 and 7. Take a look. Be anxious for nothing, but in prayer, everything by prayer, everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. Now these truths are going to help you stop worrying. Now look at how he begins in this challenge. He gives you the command, be anxious for nothing. And that word, uh, the anxious for how, well, how many things? Nothing. There's, there's no crack there. It's nothing. There's two Greek words. Literally, one word is nothing, and the second word in the Greek text is anxious. Anxious, nothing. Nothing anxious. Continual, 24-7, every moment, present tense, you all obey the command directed at the entire church here, all of you, pointed at every Christian in it, all of you, each of you, do not worry about nothing. Bad English, good Greek. Don't worry about nothing. Don't fear anything. Do not be anxious about nothing. Again, this is Philippi. They've got internal strife, they've got external persecution, they've got attacks from liberals, they've got attacks from legalists, all this is going on, and he says, do not worry about that. Trust me, trust me. One commentator reminds us that Paul wasn't lounging under a palm tree on the Isle of Capri, sipping a cool drink, dictating, don't worry, 
be happy. He wasn't saying that. There's no empty detachment here. He says the whole existence and his whole existence here is difficult, is dangerous. I can't imagine, for me, the way that I'm built, being in chains for five years. Being under arrest and unable to minister outside in the world for five years. And that's how long it's been. Almost two years in Israel, about, about a one year in shipwreck and travel, and then two years in Rome, he's been under house arrest. Now he's probably, actually we know, going to be released here, and he's looking for that. But at this particular point, there's been plots to kill him, he's been shipwrecked, now he's awaiting trial, and therefore this command, when he says, be anxious for nothing, comes with a little bit of juice behind it. Would you agree? Here's a guy under it saying, don't do this, don't go this way, stop worrying about anything. He assumes the Philippians were anxiously wringing their hands. And you know, the Christians in Philippi had more things to worry about than you do. They had poverty, hunger, ostracism, interlopers, heretics, and persecution-prone Roman city hall that give them a lot of things to be concerned about. And Paul's prohibition to worry here even has greater force. Don't worry about that. They had much more to worry about than you or I, I think. And the answer to stop worrying then, and the answer is so simple, it starts with God himself, correct? It starts with God. Living without worry is not found in you. (laughs) What a mistake that is. And in your circumstances, it's found by being intimate with the one who transformed you, the one who saved you, the one who called you before, chose you before the foundation of the world, called you in time, gave you a new life, forgave your sin, took your punishment. It's to have confidence in him. If he would do all that, don't you think he's going to care for you along the way? When you're walking intimately with your God through Christ, He will give you a new heart of firm trust. Submitting to Christ means being transformed inside out, enabling you to enjoy five great keys to overcoming worry. So I'm going to give you the five keys, and then we're going to wrap it up with the challenge to prayer. Okay, here we go. First, trust God to provide. Trust God to provide. Now, the Lord acknowledges worry as a common sin. Now, we're going to look at Matthew And then we're going to look at Peter as we try to explain this challenge found in Philippians that says, be anxious for nothing. We're looking at that one phrase, and we're saying, what else did the New Testament say about be anxious for nothing? Well, Matthew 6 says some very strong things about worry, and then also 1 Peter 5 says some very strong things about worry. So let's look at those two passages as it relates to this singular phrase in Philippians about be anxious for nothing. So he says in Matthew chapter 6, stop worrying. Verse 25, Matthew 6. For this reason I say to you, do not be what? Anxious for your life. Now in California, people respond to me, so let's try it again. Do not be what? Anxious for your life. Because when you're anxious, what should you do, people? Pray. How we started? Let's try it one more time. When you're anxious, what should you do? Pray. Okay or pray, as to what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor for your body, as to what you shall put on, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow, they do not reap, neither gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more worth than they? Now our Creator, would you agree, is the supreme provider. 
And if you're rightly related to him, he promises to provide what you need. So genuine Christians believe that if it weren't for God, you wouldn't have anything. And, and if it weren't for him, you'd lose everything you have overnight. You say, wait a minute, it was my ideas that got me where I am today. And my answer is, who gave you your mind? Okay. It could, you could have been a vegetable. Now wait a minute, everything I have in life, I got because I worked hard. If it weren't for God, you wouldn't take your next breath. Correct? If God took His hand of blessing off your life, you wouldn't have the health you needed to work. You wouldn't have the mind you needed to think. And God is the one who gives you the ability to work and provides you with all things. It's God's provision. It ultimately comes back to Him. So to stop worrying, you must daily recall your God is the ultimate source. He is behind everything. And if it wasn't for Him, you wouldn't have a job, a spouse, kids, church, friends, health. You wouldn't have a life. He made you. He's your creator. He's your provider. He's your sustainer. So worry-free living is found when you remember to trust God to provide for all your needs, your food, your clothing, your shelter. And Jesus says later, he will not give you a stone when you ask for bread. He will not give you a snake if you ask for a fish. He's worthy of your trust. So to prevent worry, remember God is the provider of all. Secondly, trust God to be in control. One more time, the sovereignty of God comes into play. Matthew 6, 27 to 30, of which of you being anxious can add a single cubit to his lifespan. Everybody knows what a cubit is, right? From here to here, can't add anything to your lifespan. And why are you anxious about clothing? Um, observe how the lilies of the field. You know, in a materialistic culture, we don't get this. And we, we're, we're in a materialistic culture. You might not be as materialistic as the U.S., but you're in a materialistic culture. If you were for, I need clothes to wear today, then you would be in a non-materialistic culture. Does that make sense? We don't have that. You, you, have food, you have clothes in your closet, yes? Nod your head? Okay, we're not struggling with this. So, but he's talking to people who, man, they're hoping for their next meal. You know, people in an agrarian situation. So why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, and they do not toil, they do not spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. And if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, he, how will he much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Jesus affirms he's in complete control. He does as he pleases, only as he pleases, always as he pleases, and all he does is for his glory and our good. Romans 8, 28, he causes all things to work together for good. God knows all the possibilities, all the possibilities, and he controls them so they work out for his glory and your good. And if you're his child, living anxious free comes when you remember that your creator is in intimate control, not distant control, intimate control. God can take that crippling diving accident. You dive off a dock uh, out on your lake and you hit your head on a rock. And he can turn it around and bring himself glory in the person of Johnny Erickson Tata. So she dives off a dock. She's now an instant paraplegic. But God uses her to impact and encourage those who are physically challenged worldwide. God can take marriage problems and turn them into a new level of love between a couple. Don and Terry's story, you don't know who they are. They're friends of mine. When I met them, they were one step away from divorce. 
their marriage was a wreck. And they determined, Lord, you can fix this. And he turned their marriage around. To this day, they have four believing children. They do marriage conferences in the U.S. and in Mexico. And God has used them to do incredible things. From a wreck of a marriage to now an example of a marriage. God can do that. Only God can do that. And understand, he can turn financial crisis into financial stability. You know, and when your mom says, if you're younger, sorry kids, that wasn't leftover stew, that was actually the dog food. Good can come from that too. I don't know how. You know, I guess you're thankful that you don't live in Tasmania because that happens all the time there. But anyway, so remember, God provides. God's in control. Thirdly, trust, I'm sorry, I can't help it. Um, Trust God to meet your needs. Trust God to meet your needs. You know, possessions are a problem when you start using words like mine and my. My possessions, my time, who gave all that to you? God. And, you know, you really can't take it with you. You rarely see a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer, correct? Correct? Now, I, I used to say never see that, but then just actually three weeks ago, I saw a picture of a hearse pulling a U-Haul, and I thought, oh my gosh, I can't use that illustration anymore. So, anyway, understand it was somebody had bought an old ambulance or whatever. Anyway, all your possessions are merely loaned to you, right? Do you take anything with you, yes or no? No, not a thing. Not one thing. And as the Bible says in Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, including your garage, including all the stuff in your house. You're, you're in, are you enslaved to your possessions? With, with any possession, if you can't give it away, then you don't own it, it owns you. It's controlling you. You've got to be open-handed with what God gives you. Now, it doesn't mean you're not a steward of it. It doesn't mean you're handing it out to everybody. But you've got to be open-handed. Remember, your Creator is the owner of all and can free you from possessing possessions. So Jesus says in verse 31 and 32 of Matthew 6, Don't be anxious then, saying, What shall I eat? What shall I drink? What shall we clothe ourselves with? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Jesus, don't worry when your Father, He'll give you what you need. Only when you trust Him as the giver of all things can you be worry-free in the future. Now, if you own something in your heart and you fear you're going to lose it, then what are you going to do? You're going to worry. But if God owns it, then you merely manage it for Him and then you can be worry-free. It's His thing. You know, He loaned it to me and I'm using it for Him, right? Everything you own is on loan to you. One more time. Everything you own is on loan to you. It's really not yours. I paid for it, yeah, but God provided it. And it's really from Him. And you're not taking it with you. So the only way you're going to really be free of it (laughs) is to basically give it away in your heart and know that it's His. The one who can provide all you need is in control of everything and also will give you his possessions and take away his possessions when it's good for you and will bring him glory. There's an anxiety freedom in owning nothing. Uh, A.W. Tozer, uh, in his book, The Pursuit of God, if you've ever read that, he has a chapter called The Blessedness of Possessing Nothing. And he talks about this very specifically. We need to be those who possess nothing. It's all his. It's all for him. 
None of it. You you get to enjoy it, that's true. But there's anxiety freedom from owning nothing, but just in managing them for the Lord. So this is a management issue, right? So the next time you wreck your car, you say, Lord, it's your car! Okay. All right? It's no big deal. Because you love Christ first and trust Christ most and know Him best. I actually had the privilege of knowing a young man. He was, at the time, I was really young, and he was 26 or 27. And he used to say to us all the time, only people matter, things don't matter. Only people matter, things don't matter. He kept saying that over and over in every context. He was a wonderful discipler. And then I watched one day when he got his dream car. He got a Volkswagen van. This is way back. You know, the earth was still forming, all right? So this is way back. And he pulled up, and this teenager was in the car with him and opened the front door and bashed that door, brand new, brand new, into a telephone pole and dinged that door up. And we all saw this and watched him, and it didn't matter. To the core of his being, it didn't matter because things didn't matter to him. He was concerned about the kid and his attitude and his response to it. He wasn't concerned about his Volkswagen. We can be that way if we pursue the blessedness of possessing nothing, knowing that it's all from him. It's his. And if he's on your side, and as his child he is, then you can be worry-free because tomorrow's already in your father's hands under his control, and all you need will be provided for the owner of all. He can do it. Therefore, Jesus says, seek his kingdom first, seek his righteousness first, and everything else will be right. So Matthew 6, to continue worrying about anything is to violate the Lord's command right here in Philippians chapter 4, be anxious for nothing. And if you violate the Lord's command, if you worry and you're manifesting that kind of faith, it's little faith, right? And to fret over what I eat, what I drink, and how I should clothe myself in God's eyes is do exactly what a non-believer would do. So now if you would turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, you've got to see it in context. That's if you're looking for it in your Bible, it's between Genesis and Revelation. You'll see it there. 1 Peter chapter 5. How can you live worry-free? Well, 1 Peter 5 says, casting your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, trust Christ, fourthly in your outline, to carry your concerns. Trust him to carry your concerns. Casting all your anxiety on him. I used to love it when my boys were very small and they would be frightened by something. And what they would do, you've seen this, they would somehow crawl up my legs, crawl up my torso, and somehow find themselves with their arms around my neck. You ever seen that happen? I mean, they can't climb anything, but all of a sudden, you know, they're there, and they're hanging on. And I love that. That's the type of picture that Peter's painting here. But it's even more vivid. The verb casting there means to throw away, to hand it over. When, when, when you share a burden with somebody, it lessens in your own life, right? You've placed and handed over that worry to another person. I used to choose to literally dump my worries close to my house. There would be a field as I crossed a certain avenue, and I'd go, okay, that's where my worries are, and I would dump them there before I came home to basically burden my wife. 
I didn't want her burden with him. So I just, okay, Lord, it's all yours. I'm giving it to you. That's the field where we hang on to the worries, and I'm just going to come home and be a happy camper, right? I'm not going to allow these things to weigh up and, and, and harm our relationship. So it doesn't mean that I was being flippant about it, but it was more of like I was doing exactly what he said, cast them away. That's the Greek word casting. You actively, continually give those fears, anxieties, pressures away to Christ. I'd say, Lord, you take them. They're yours. It's like I'm giving them to you. And the word anxiety there, that word, this is so fitting for worry. Anxiety means to divide. It means to rip. It means to tear apart. It means to distract. And it results in discontentment, discouragement, despair, and questioning without resolution. Worry. Cast it on Christ. That field there was, oh, Lord, this is your place where you want me to, but I'm giving them to you, all of it. Why? Because worry's bad for your health. It's worse than that. It makes God look bad. It undermines faith. And the main reason God basically gives here is because worry is pride. In the context here, pride is what God hates, meaning God hates your worry. He hates it. You notice the grammatical connection between verses 6 and 7. Now you're in 1 Peter 5. Take a look at the connection between verses 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. It's not merely a new sentence here. Verse 7 is subordinate clause Humble yourselves, the main verb, the participle, subordinate clause, casting your anxieties on Him. They belong to each other, meaning casting your anxieties on God is an expression of humility. Whatever worry or whatever anxiety you're carrying around right now, repent of it because it's pride. God hates it. He's opposed to you. It's bad. It's evil. Therefore, you need to deal with it. It's saying, God, my opinion of my circumstances and my opinion of what's going on around me or these relationships is more accurate than yours. That's what it is. You're saying, I need to grind over this and not trust what you say. Fifthly, never forget God's care for you. Never forget His care for you. Casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Present, active, indicative, it's a fact, it's ongoing, He cares for you. Throw your cares on Jesus is not a misplaced confidence. God is informing you that everything that creates anxiety for you in this life is a matter of great concern for Christ. And to care here is to be concerned, to be greatly interested in someone, to be thinking about them continually. When God says, I care about you, He is greatly concerned about you, and He is continually thinking about you. You know, we have forgotten when you go through a situation that results in anxiety, who's the one who gave you that situation? Who? God did. God allowed it, or God directly caused it. And He did it for one reason. Are you ready? That you would cling to Him. That's why. So give it to Him. He wants that relationship. He desires that intimacy. So, you know, if your spouse were going in for a serious medical problem, and that's happened to us, and you don't even have to try to pray for them. You just do it continually, right? Because you, you love them. You care about them. This is the kind of care God has for you in the midst of your struggles. It, you don't have to, he's not working at it. He's just the concern that God has for his church, since this phrase, he cares for you, is plural, so he's caring for all of you, is that same kind of concern. 
Christian, how can you doubt God's care for you if Christ would go to the cross, if he would die for you, if he would bear all of God's wrath for your sin upon himself, if he would bear all the eternity of wrath that you deserve and should have been poured out on you, rose from the dead and did this while you were ungodly, uninterested, and defiant. And he did that, and then he called you to himself. How can you doubt his care? Now that you're his child, justified with perfect righteousness of Christ, completely forgiven for your sins, and can stand in his presence because of what he did for you, how can you doubt his care by worrying? That's the point. You see, you're kind of shaming us, Chris. I'm like, no, I'm calling you to remember the reality of what Peter's trying to say here. God cares for you. He's demonstrated that. So therefore, remember and don't be anxious. This is how you stand firm. Listen, if you're doubting and struggling and being anxious all the time, are you standing firm, yes or no? No. You have to have confidence on the rock. You know what the great barrier is in your life that often keeps you from putting others first and thinking of others as more important than yourself? Philippians made a big plea for that in chapter 2. You know, consider others more important than yourself. Why is it that people don't do that? Simply it's this. The fear, the barrier is this. They think, if I do that, who will care for me? That's the big barrier. If I put others first and treat others more important than, than I am, who's going to care for me? And you know what God's answer is? I will. God will. Christ himself will care for your needs. He has a mighty hand and is able to do far better than you can, and he wants to do so. So how should you respond to his care? How should you respond when you're anxious? What should you do when you're anxious? Answer? Pray. Look at verse 7 and verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. That's what we've looked at. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us, Philippians, instead of worry, determine to pray. The, the automatic response would be, no, I will not worry, I will pray. I will pray. Relational prayer with God will cause you to stand firm, and the Philippians, instead of worry, need to determine to pray, and you do as well. Stable believers do not keep anxious thoughts bottled up in them. Stable, standing firm, and if you're older, sitting firm believers do not keep anxious thought bottled up inside of them. Mature believers do not try to figure out all the solutions on their own. This was really freeing to me to work this through and go, you know what, I'm not going to be able to figure this out. I'm just going to have to wait and trust. I just have to wait. Wait till I face the situation, get in the and then allow the Lord to lead through it. There's nothing I can do about it. Stable saints go to God in prayer. What do they pray about? Verse 6. But in how many things? Oh, wait, wait, wait. You said that with not any conviction at all? This is so important. This is the most important thing you can draw out of the, the rest of this verse. You pray about how many things? Wait a minute. Does he mean your uncertainties? You should pray about your uncertainties? Listen, some of you are so committed to thee and thou that you forgot to be genuine before God. The Heavenly Father, thank you. I, I, I appreciate majestic prayers. I do. But don't see, be so concerned about being eloquent before your Heavenly Father that you can't be genuine. And He's asking you to pray about what? Everything. Everything. 
pour out your heart. Listen, you want to stop worrying? Tell them everything. I'm telling you, that's why Christians worry. They don't talk to God about everything. They're trying to impress Him, and He's going, would you knock it off and just tell me? Okay? Just get it out. Let's get it out. Let's talk about it. Let's pour it out. Pour out your heart in every detail. I'm not talking about being irreverent. I'm just saying, look, tell Him. Tell Him every motive. And sometimes you don't even know your own motive. Confess every uncertainty. Actually talk to Him about every hurt, every question, every doubt, every frustration. Tell Him. Prayer is honest. It's genuine. Tell Him everything. You want to beat worry, you've got to talk to Him about how many things? Everything. And we know that because of the context. Pray about anything and everything you're tempted to worry about. There's nothing too great for God's power. There's nothing too small for His fatherly care. And Paul says, pray about everything you might worry about. Verse 6, Paul says, pray with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Because thanksgiving is expressing gratitude. It's implying humility. Before an all-powerful God, you can always pray with thanks because Christ is the one who brought you peace with God. Christ is the one who saved you. Christ is the one who administrated your salvation, brought you to Himself, so there's always something to be thankful for. Again, going back to what we said before, any day you're not in hell, pretty good day. Right? So Paul commands, verse 6, let your requests be known to God. Literally, he says, let the askings of you be known to God. The verb uh, be known here tells us that God wants you to persist in prayer. Uh, Be known tells you that He wants you to continue in prayer. And the more you worry, the more He wants you to pray. The more you're tempted to be anxious, the more you should be praying. And God desires intimacy in your prayer. And part of the reason you were saved by Christ is to be personal and intimate with Christ. Stop worrying. Start praying to the Lord you know who knows you. Is there anything he's like wondering about? Okay, is there something he's going, oh, there's such a mystery to me? Come on, really, really? Are you hearing me? Is, are you a mystery to the Lord, yes or no? No. No. And he desires to be intimate with you face to face, person to person, saint to savior with you. Now, I believe that we need to mature as Christians. But there's a a childlessness here that is expressing an openness and an honesty before your Heavenly Father that shouldn't be lost. And and you want to, you know, we want to grow up, but we also want to be innocent and genuine before our Heavenly Father. And as you do, amazing things will happen. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is the smile of God reflected in the soul of every true believer. Peace is what God created between you and Him in salvation, and peace is what can then be cultivated in the heart of a believer. You don't have to be anxious. You can have God's peace. Peace is the heart's calm after Calvary's storm. God made peace with you in salvation, and God can give you peace in sanctification. Jesus said it in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, 
My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you do I give to you, but do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Again, peace. God does not remove trials. I know some of you are going, bummer. God doesn't remove trials. He doesn't spare your spouse from pain. God does not stop. God does not stop all harm to come to your children, but God can give you peace through it all. Peace is so strong, it will, verse 7, guard your heart during the most difficult time, but only for the Christian. If you're a non-Christian here, you should worry. Okay? Actually, if you're a non-Christian here, you should be terrorized. Because you're not forgiven, you're not ready for heaven, you're only bound for hell. You're outside of God's family, and you are outside of your purpose on this planet. So Christians can be at peace, non-Christians can never be at peace. But for the believer, God's peace will guard your heart as you pray and give Him your worries your anxiousness everything and pretty simple let's pray together heavenly father thank you again for this just simple and direct exhortation from scripture help us to see you clearly that you're in control that you're good that you're involved in the intimate details of our lives, that there's nothing that comes to us that is not either allowed or initiated by you. And Father, that we can trust you that you're going to guide us and direct us. And Father, you'll provide for us. And if there's suffering in the mix, that we can trust you through it. We don't have to be anxious. We pray, Father, that we might learn just the simple process that Anytime we worry, we pray. And that we would learn to pray everything. Yes, to exalt you, to praise you, to honor you, to give thanks to you, but also to tell our Heavenly Father the depths of our struggle and to give you everything, to cast it upon you because we know you care for us. So we pray, God, if there are any in the room, that there would be a growing terror in their heart. That if they don't know you, that they would be drawn to cry out to you to say, open my heart, help me to see you, so I can respond in repentance and faith, and I can know you, and I could be redeemed and forgiven and cleansed, and that I could be ready for heaven, and I could know your peace, and I could know what it is like to live a life without this anxiousness and worry. And Father, we know that in this life there will constantly be temptation to move down that road to struggle through things and events that are before us. We pray that you continue to push us to the depths of trust and to rely upon your character and your word with absolute certainty and stand firm on the rock, not to waver, And we pray, Father, that you would help us tomorrow as we open up the important discipline of our mind that we would be able to think on the things that would actually help us to trust you and not worry and to truly stand firm. 
We'll give you all the thanks for what you'll do. We praise you and thank you for being a God who cares about us and shares these very direct truths with us. And we honor you again as our Savior, as our Lord, as our Master, but as the God who cares for us too. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.